0: Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Amen. God is great. And he's greatly to be praised. Thank you, Lord God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all the privileges of being in the body of Christ and in the kingdom of God. Oh God, it is in you that we live and move and have our being. And even as we prepare to share today, we would not be presumptuous to start Anything without first acknowledging you, your word says in all of our ways, acknowledge you, you would direct our path. And we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. Oh, God, would you think through my mind, speak through my lips, minister through this vessel of clay to your people, teach us your ways, oh, Lord, so that we can walk in your truth. Give us an understanding heart so that we can follow you. And we thank you that for everything that you're going to do. Continue the transformational process in us. Uh, Father, change is to alter us. But transformation is to change us in such a way we can never go back the way we were before. Transform us is our prayer in Jesus' name. And now, Father, we thank you that the words of my mouth will be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer, in Jesus' name, we pray. And everyone say, "Amen." Well, would you take your Bible and hold it up and make this declaration? After me, say this after me. This is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, this one is mine. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing, and hearing by the word of god without faith, without faith it's impossible to please him, to please he, that him. To he that comes to god must, god must god believe that he is, that he and, he is and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, diligently seek him. Because, because i am a diligent seeker of god, seeker of god. My, life be my life will be better because i have heard the word of faith Do you believe that I believe that let's make our lives better. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord and in the company of God's saints. And we honor the Lord once again for the privilege he's given unto you and unto me again to come together in his presence, to worship him as a true and living God and to hear his word that is able to keep us. We're in the book of Malachi, as Pastor John just stated, and we, are making a journey through this book this week by the help of the Lord. We've come now to chapter 2 and verse number 10. And Yesterday on Sunday morning, we started off with the burden of Malachi. And we said that the prophets in the Old Testament prophesied out of the weight of God that came upon their life. The burden of anyone who declares as an oracle of God his word. Is the weight that comes to us through prayer and isolation. Time together with the Lord in our private times of worship. It's the weight of taking spiritual matters. And it's the weight of waiting before the Lord. And learning how to articulate spiritual matters. In words that are easy to be understood. God starts off his first oracle. In the book of Malachi in chapter 1. By saying simply this. I have loved you. And I want you to know that this is a book of love. God is reaffirming his love to Israel. He is reaffirming his love for his covenant with his people. And I believe that he comes to this church this year to reaffirm his love towards us. But then in chapter 1 and verse number 6, he asked the question, If I have loved you, where is my honor? And we said that the appropriate response to God's love is to honor him. Honor is the appropriate response to God's love. Jesus said, uh, or um, John said in his epistle, if you love him, keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous, you know. Amen. His commandments are to love the Lord thy God, says Matthew 22, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like unto it is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, In the book of John, a new commandment I give unto you that you should love one another as I have loved you. To honor God is to obey God. And obeying him is not a hard thing. In fact, one of the greatest weapons you have against the enemy is just to make up your mind. Make up your mind you're going to do it God's way and not yours. Make up your mind that you're going to obey him, not try to negotiate, mediate, and compromise with him. Our God is an uncompromisingly righteous God," says the amplified version of the Bible. God says, "You have loved me. Where is my honor?" Sunday night, we looked at how we can honor God in our worship, and we looked at Exodus 30:34, 30, where it talked about the elements of the sweet spices that went upon the golden altar in the holy place, because the book of the Malachi says that the day is coming. In verse number 11, Malachi 1:11 were pure offerings will be given in every nation and among the Gentiles to him. We are to take the stacta, the the anca, the galbanium, and the frankincense, the incense, mix it together with frankincense and blend it and put it on the fire of God and let it rise to God. We looked at the fact that the priest ought to offer pure worship to God and that the priest's lips ought to keep wisdom. If there was ever a day that God's priest, his priestly nation called the church ought to have knowledge and wisdom on their lips. This is that day. We are a part of the kingdom of God. And when you work for a government, it is dangerous to give your own opinion. We had a uh, ambassador several years ago named Andrew Young. The government policy was that we should not talk to a certain country. He went and took it upon himself to go talk to that country As an ambassador to the United States, when the public policy said, we don't do that, he was called back home and was fired immediately. Because when you work for a government, your opinion is not the policy of the kingdom. And friends, we represent the kingdom of God. When I go into public forums, they say, well, what do you think? I say, I work for a government. It's called the kingdom of God. I said, you don't want my opinion. I said, but I can talk to you as a kingdom representative. And this is what our constitution says about this issue that you are talking of priest's lips ought to bring wisdom. God asks in chapter 1 verses 2 through 5 he says I have loved you. In chapter 1 and 1, 6 and 6 uh, 2 through 9 he then says where is my honor? And he says that we ought to honor him as priest, worship leaders and worshipers with our lives. And we ought to honor him by not bringing him leftovers but bringing him the best. Now we come to chapter two, verse 10. And I'll come to the verse that we will explore today. And there it says, have we not all one father? Two ten goes on to say, has not one God created us. Why do we deal treacherously one with another by profaning the covenant of the fathers? Judas dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel. And in Jerusalem for Judah has proclaimed the Lord's holy institution. You may want to underline those words, the Lord's holy institution, which he loves and has married the daughter of foreign of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob, the man who does this being awake and aware. Yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. So that he does not regard your offering anymore, nor receive it uh, with good will from your hands. Yet you say, For what reason, because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and the wife of by covenant. But did he not make you one having a remnant of the spirit and why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says, the Lord hates divorce. It covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you. Do not deal treacherously. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a delicious piece of scripture. Here now, the writer Malachi, the messenger, begins to turn his attention more personally to internal conflict that is causing Israel to stray away from God. He's already declared that I love you. He's declared, where is my honor, your appropriate response? But now he says, let's talk to the unmarried people, those in our culture that we would call single. And then he said, and now let's talk to the married folks. Look at your neighbor and tell him he's going home with you tonight. (laughs) He's talking to unmarried folk tonight. And to marry folk tonight. God is an equal opportunity offender. And so it's one thing to talk about the inexhaustible love of God. It's one thing to come back and say, my response to you, to your response to me should be honor. It's another thing to narrow it down and say that the priest ought to honor me and the people ought to honor me with pure worship. And now he comes down to how we can honor God with our lives both as unmarried people and as married people. He then begins to talk about our faithfulness to his covenant that is revealed in our lives as unmarried people and as married people. And the first thing that he deals with is to the unmarried people, and he charges and he levels a charge of unfaithfulness, is leveled against God's people. And the first charge comes against the unfaithful single people who are marrying aliens and foreigners. They are marrying people that are outside the covenant promises of Israel and outside the covenant promises. Of faith. Now, I know when we deal with texts like this, it might make us sound like we are prejudiced, bigoted, exclusive, closed, myopic, monolithic, monoethnic, all of those words would come to mind. But I think that the truth of the matter is God was not so much against people, but he knew that if Israel who was chosen to follow the one and true living God, if they married with the foreigners around them, two things would happen. They would adopt their gods and they would adopt their practices, which is why God was so hard on them not to marry these Moabites, Canaanites, Ammonites, Amorites, Termites, Parasites, and everybody else. He wanted them to stay away from all the ites in the land. God said, don't marry them. He said, because if you marry them, they will turn your hearts away from me. Now you say, well, no, I'm strong enough because there are some people who doubt God's way. And there are some people that believe that they know better than God who they ought to marry. And there are some people that say, I'll marry them and get them saved. The Bible speaks nothing of missionary dating. Stay with me. You don't have to date anybody to get them saved. Somebody say amen in here. And some people believe that they know better than God. Now, sometimes we hear some glory stories where somebody violates God's covenant and gets married and somehow after years... A prayer and intercession, their spouse comes to the Lord and they stand up and give a testimony and say they finally came. But I often wonder what would happen if you had waited on God and did it his way. In urban areas, we would say maybe you would have one less hickey on your head. Maybe you would have received no smacks in the mouth. Maybe you would not have dealt with adultery sexually transmitted diseases, STDs. What would have happened if you had waited on God? And the statement here is one against infidelity. Now you say, well, could it really be that bad? God goes on to say, you know, he made them one in marriage because he desires godly offspring. And there's a little verse that I'll make reference to as then we'll come back to Malachi. And if you will, look at Nehemiah 13 and verse number... Nehemiah 13 and verse number 23. Uh, Nehemiah thirteen twenty-three. In Nehemiah 13, 23, at the end of the book of Nehemiah, they come back and rebuilt the land or rebuilt the walls. They had come back and restored the gates. Some people believe that Malachi was probably written right around 450 BC, whereas Nehemiah is working on the wall around 444 BC. And when Nehemiah... Finally, rebuilds the walls. One of the things he does is he goes and he cleans up the temple. And in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse number 23, I read this text, I believe, last year when I was here. And uh, in Nehemiah 13, 23, here he says, And in those days I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. It says, and half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, but could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. Here there were people that had married the Ashdodites, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, and they could talk all the language of those foreign gods, but could not talk the language of praise. And friends, I'd like to suggest to you tonight that when you and I permit our sons and our daughters To marry Ashtadites, Moabites, and Ammonites, foreign people that don't know our God, or you and I who are unmarried and we marry people that are outside, Jehovah Witnesses, people that follow the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, Mormons. When we marry people that are Buddhist and Hindus, when we marry people that are Islamic, listen, your children are going to speak in one tongue or the other. And in this case, they could talk the tongue of rap. They could talk Snoop Dogg. They could talk all of these other rap songs, but they couldn't quote one psalm in its entirety. And I find it interesting. Now, our kids can quote all the rhythm, blues, all the hip-hop, all the modern songs, but you ask them to quote the 23rd psalm in its entirety. Ask them to quote psalm number one, and they could not do it. Nehemiah in 1325 says, so I contended with them and I cursed them and I struck them and some of them I pulled out their hair. Nehemiah got mad because Nehemiah said, man, this kind of mess got us into 70 years captivity and I'm not putting up with it again. And he went out and slapped some. I'm not going to commission you to go do this now, but I'm just reading the Bible to you. He went out and slapped some folks, pulled some other folks' hair out And he said, and he made them swear by God saying, Nehemiah 13, 25, you shall not give your daughters as the wives to their sons, nor take their daughters as sons or yourself. And then he makes a statement. Didn't Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these? Now, what do we know Solomon as? Wise man. Besides Jesus Christ, one of the wisest men ever lived. It says, yet Solomon, with all the wisdom he had, it says, by these things, it says, yet among the nations, there was no one like King Solomon. Who was beloved by God and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. We should learn the lesson of Solomon. I mean, this man married 300 women and 700 some concubines. Well, you got a thousand women in your house. When you walk into your shower style and there's a thousand pair of pantyhose hanging up in there, it's going to seriously impair your judgment. And, and I read Solomon's writing. I mean, listen, you read Proverbs. Some of those are Solomon's writings. You read, uh, you read uh, uh, Song of Solomon. That's a young man's love. Uh, You you read Proverbs, it's an old man's wisdom. You read Ecclesiastes and you get depressed. That's after you got all the women in the house. Under the sun. Vanity. Vanity. All is vanity. Nothing makes sense. Nothing is with purpose. Brother, there is sense and there is purpose, but you married three under women. It's going to do it. And not only did he have all these women that you got to deal with, you got to deal with their ups and downs with hormones and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) But you also now got to deal with all their gods that they're bringing in. And Solomon married them because he forgot to rely on his God to protect the nation. He thought that if he made a pledge and a league and a covenant with these foreign gods that they wouldn't be attacked and it turned his heart. And if the wisest man in the world Couldn't handle that. Look at the man next to you and tell you what makes you think you can handle that. Go ahead, look at the man, tell him, tell him. What makes you think? Tell the man next to you, don't be scared. Go ahead, tell him. And friends, it turned this man's ...heart away. Verse 27 goes on. It says, after it caused him to sin, it says, Should we then hear of your doing all this evil? Transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women. And as I said, after a while with the new covenant, it's not about the people group. It's about their gods and their practices. And then he mentions the fact that one of the sons of Jehoiada, uh, the son of Elishahab, of the high priest, he was a son-in-law of Sanballat. That was an enemy of God, the Hornite. And they had given Israel problems all the way from the beginning of Nehemiah. Therefore, he drove him out. He said, man, I don't even want my enemy's kids in here. And then he says, he prays this, remember them, O God, because they have defiled and that's a word that we're hearing in Malachi, the priesthood. That's that worship and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus, I cleansed them of everything pagan. And I believe that that's some of the dust God wants to wash off of us. Because you see, when you walk in America, some of the dust of America can get on you. And People are arguing about open borders or closed borders. And God made provision for internationals in Israel, but the one prohibition he made with the permission that he made for internationals, don't let them bring in their foreign gods. They can come in, but don't let them bring in their foreign gods. And there's a lot of dust in America. And some of it is theistic dust. It's related to gods or foreign gods or pagan gods or idols. And some of it is intellectual dust that says there is no God. And he said, I cleansed them of everything pagan and I assigned the duties of the priest and of the Levites for service and for the bringing in of the wood and of the offering and of the first fruits appointed times. Remember me, O God, for good. And Nehemiah during his day had to deal with the same issue back to now Malachi having laid that little foundational backdrop. You see, when we look at Malachi, the first charge is against single people, and married people who are joining themselves, to the aliens and the foreign gods. I want to make this statement to you, Faith Christian Center. For those who are unmarried, your choice as a marriage partner will be the closest thing to heaven or hell you will experience in this earth. I'm going to say it again. I said your choice as a spouse, as an unmarried person, as a single person can be the closest thing to a heaven or a hell in this earth. Amen. Take your time. Amen. Do an investigation. Amen. Call out everybody. CSI. <laughs> Crime scene investigation check background check birth certificates check credit reports check references check health records y'all ain't saying nothing no hipaa laws up in here when you get ready to be married ain't no privacy laws lay it all out. Who is your God? I believe in God. What's his name? How do you get to him? How long have you been walking with him? Who is your pastor? I go to church. I one time saw a guy and I said, hey man, where are you worshiping today? He said, I worship at Pilgrim Baptist Church. And I said, well man, I said, next, I said, who's the pastor over there? And he said, Pastor Mitchell's pastor over there. I said, "Bruh, Pastor Mitchell been there for 10 years. the last time you been to church? Look at your neighbor and say do an, do an investigation and as parents investigate with your sons and daughters yeah. do an investigation. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, do an investigation, Amen. get their driver's license, get their number, right. do a background check, do a good one that checks the FBI files, the state fouls, the city fouls. You say, well, what about trust? Trust is earned. Respect is given. It used to be in days past when I had the male and the female sitting there and the first question was your birth date and when you were born and I would look at all of that and uh, it would be, a, and the questions were to the prospective bridegroom and the prospective bride and I used to just move right through that section. Now when I go to the prospective male uh, bridegroom and I say, when were you born? And he gives me the birth date and I said, and were you born a male? Because you look like one now. But were you born that way? And when I look at the female, she gives me a birth date, and I said, and were you born a female? Because people are having their bodies altered now. And in our kingdom, we can't taste uh, appetizers. You don't get a chance to test drive the model that you're getting ready to marry in our kingdom. Y'all ain't saying nothing. Y'all scaring me. Y'all are a scary bunch out here on Monday night. So we have to ask the question today because you really don't know what's sitting in front of you. And friends, we have to do that. We got married in 1974. We'll be married 40 years in June. The wife of my youth, my only wife. She's the mother of all my children in the earth. And it's refreshing to know that there never has to come that knock on the door somebody shows up and says, I'm your son or daughter. I say, that's a lie. <laughs> Do the DNA test. It ain't true. <laughs> Friends, we don't want to marry people that have a different God. Now, another New Testament scripture that kind of confirms this, that's used in this kind of conversation also, is when uh, they were looking at people that were engaged in idolatry in the New Testament and they were trying to break away from that practice. And in First Corinthians chapter six and fourteen, uh six fourteen, uh in um uh, in First Corinthians, uh let me see here, six, it says here Oh, it was 1 Corinthians six fourteen. That's a note I have here. I'm looking for this scripture that says, well, my note says, be not unequally yoked together. What's that? 2 Corinthians. Corinthians. Thank you for the Bible scholars out there. I love people that know their Bible that come to church. Thank you, 2 Corinthians. Right chapter, wrong uh, wrong book, okay? Good, Six fourteen, And they're dealing with this whole uh, area. Remember that idolatry and multiple gods was was a big issue in the New Testament church And, and here he says listen don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers and that's not just in reference to marriage that could also in a further sense be in reference to business in a reference to anything that's going to bring you into a covenant or agreement with somebody and then he asked a question that I want to raise for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness and what communion has light with darkness and what Accord has Christ with Baal and it says, and what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them, walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. I think that it's important that this text reveals in Malachi that they were sinning against the holy institution of God. And I think that this becomes a contemporary text because in verse number 11, where he says an abomination has been done and committed in Israel and in Judah, it says because they have profaned the holy institution of God. I don't need to tell you that right now in the nation that we live in, that there's a whole movement to redefine marriage in our nation. And it's not coming against public policy. It's defaming the holy institution of God. Now, when you assault the holiness of God, all sin is an offense to the holiness of God. And in this text, it talks about the fact that people that were marrying foreign women... And divorcing their wives, they were doing it, and they were awake and aware. They knew what they were doing. And friends, I believe that we are living in that day. To profane means to treat something that is sacred with a base and irreverence and contempt. And I believe that there's a move on in this country to take everything that is holy, righteous, and sacred, and trample it under the foot. I saw a nation that did that when I was delivering Bibles to churches in Russia when the communists had it. I went with some teams to take Bibles and for years the Russian Orthodox Church and other Christians were working in places like Moscow and Kiev, Ukraine where we went and St. Petersburg that was then Leningrad when we went in. And they thought that Christianity would never be stomped out. The same thing happened in China under Mao. They thought that China, under the communists, they thought that that Christianity would never be wiped out. But when they wiped it out, they took away the Bibles and they wanted to produce an atheistic society that had no standards. Folks say it had never happened in here in America because we have guns. They took away the guns in Russia. And guns can't stop because we can't fight with spiritual, uh, natural weapons against this one. This is a very subtle move that's moving into every institution. Arts and entertainment is moving into business. It's impacting now congregations. It's impacting now direct media. It's impacting education. It's impacting government and families. All of those major systems, arts and entertainment, business, congregations, direct media, education, government and families, those ABCD, EFGs, those seven mountains, all being affected very subtly moving in. And friends, it's one thing for it to move into all of those, but when it moves into the church, that's when Malachi speaks up. And he says, have we not all one father? If we call ourselves God's people, we ought to honor the one living God and do things his way. There ought to be some things that we hold in common, not only one living God in Jesus Christ, the way to that one living God, but the standard of God ought to be held by the church. He says, why do you deal then treacherously one with another by profaning the covenant of our father? And he warns the single people not to take that which is sacred and make it a base and irreverent and, and uh, contemptible. See, the word to profane also means to abase by wrong and unworthy and vulgar use. Sometimes when I do marriages, people want to be so contemporary in their weddings. And they say, well, I really don't want a traditional wedding. And he said, uh, I really want it to be a celebration. And when I look at some of their plans before I approve them, it looks like it's going to be a drama. I said, this, does, this looks like a concert. One of our singers got married, and she had so much singing in the wedding, she made me tired during the wedding. <laughs> I got so tired after I did the, the ceremony and did the communion, and there was two more songs. I told them to kiss, and they looked at me, and they said, there's three more songs. I said, there ain't going to be no more singing up in here. <laughs> I said, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, you getting up out of here. Y'all sing at the reception, but ain't going to be no more singing up in here. Now, y'all forgive me. I'm nice when I come here, but I'm a little crazy at home. My wife said, now, did you take your medication? She always asks me before I come here. Okay, so, so y'all, I'm on my medication right now, so, so y'all safe right here. But I'm a little crazy at home. Okay. And, uh, and I, and I, I, don't deal with crazy stuff too much. And, and, uh, my, my mother, she was crazy too. And, uh, she goes to our church. She, she'll be 90 this year. And, and uh, it's fascinating because my mother was one of those crazy monk mothers that say, now, now if you act crazy at home, I'll punish you at home. But she said, but if you act crazy in public, I'm going to punish you at the scene of the crime. <laughs> so, so I've kind of adopted that philosophy. You got crazy in my office, we'll deal with it in the office. But when you go public on me, I'm going public with you. And sometimes, I don't know whether I'm at a dramatic production or at a wedding. And so now I just tell couples, listen, this is what we're going to do. You can do this, that, and the other. I said, because you're cutting a covenant with each other. And and I said, and we've gone through six months, nine months, sometimes a year of premarital counseling. You as a man, you as a woman, and I as a minister believe this is God's will for you to be joined together. And I said, there are terms and conditions that are going to be exchanged here. And God's going to be here. And here in this covenant, between these unmarried folk, they were defiling the covenant of God because people that were worshiping foreign gods and had foreign practices looked more attractive. I don't know why good girls want bad boys. Yeah, I said it. I said it. I said it all. Say it all, preacher. Preach. I'll, I'll give myself some amens. Amen, preacher. You preach good. I don't know why good men want bad girls. I don't know why one that is pure and holy and chaste would want somebody that's nasty I don't know why somebody would want to be married to somebody who treats you like they are getting ready to buy a used car. You know, when you buy a used car, you want to take it for a test drive. You want to find out how all the appliances work before you own it. You want to find out how many previous owners they had and how did they treat you. Used car. You want to find out how it was treated so you know whether it works well or not. You even want to take it home with you without paying one car payment and examine it for yourself with no commitment, no license, no payment. And then if you don't like it, like a used car, you just bring it back to the car dealership and say, nah, I changed my mind. Well, It's quiet. And Malachi says this is hindering the worship experience. And he said, Let's shake that dust off and wait on God and do it his way. And so he looks at this and says, Listen, he says, I'm going to cut this off because he desires godly seed. You see, Have we not all one father? Yes. And he created us one because he desires godly seed. Now hear me as we approach this text. He says that they have dealt treacherously with one another. This doesn't work. He says they've dealt treacherously with one another. says verse number 10. He says, this is an abomination. We talk about homosexuality, being an abomination, but marrying outside of your faith is also an abomination to God. An abomination is committed to Israel. We don't talk about that abomination too much. It says, and Judah has profaned this holy institution of God. Verse 12, as we're reading there, it says, my God cut off the tents of Jacob and the man that does this and being awake and aware Yet you bring an offering to me. You still keep coming to church and want God to make it right, says the Lord of hosts. I've wept a lot of tears for people where I've told them, don't do it. I've seen people get pulled into pornography, human trafficking. I went to a forum in Washington, D.C., invited to represent the leadership of our city. FBI was there. Uh, Federal investigators were there on human trafficking. The Salvation Army was there. Let us know that the average prostitute on the street right now is between 13 and 18 years old. Told me many of the prostitutes on the street are church kids that have run away from home. I said, how did they get found and how did they get out here? He said, they start skipping school and pimps and human traffickers go to malls about 1 o'clock in the afternoon when kids ought to be in school. Go to malls. See little boys and girls out there by themselves. Sit down and they'll offer them a frappuccino. Then it's a sandwich. Then buy them a hooded sweatshirt from a store. Then all of a sudden they're disappeared. No ID. Taken to another city. ID stolen. Families are threatened. I got your ID. I know where your family lives. If you don't do what I tell you to do and do with it, do with your body what I tell you to do with your body, with whom I tell it is your body. I'll go back and kill your mother, kill your little sister, kill your brother. And they're stuck. When you marry foreign people, there's a stream that has been discovered now by police departments between pornography, prostitution, and human trafficking. It's just a continuum. And friends, in that continuum, it's a foreign system. And he says, I have to cut it off because you're doing it and you're awake and you're aware. A stern warning comes. Because in our church back home, half our people are unmarried. Some are unmarried because they're widows. My mother said, I'm not single, I'm a widow. And so there's a difference between a widow, someone that doesn't desire to be married, and someone who's single. And then there are people that are unmarried and they don't want to get married. Some people are unmarried and they look at enough married folk and they say, hey, I'll just go it alone, you know. (laughs) They call themselves single and satisfied. And then there are some people that are unmarried and they want to be married. There are some people that are unmarried because of divorce. And with 50% of my congregation being unmarried, I have to talk on both sides of the aisle. On one side, I praise marriage, but I tell folks, you don't have to get married, but if you do, marry somebody inside the kingdom. In our kingdom, there's limitations. Before I leave this and move on to the married people, in our kingdom, a man has to marry a woman. Okay. And in our kingdom, Christians marry Christians. And if you want to go further, it would be good if you married someone, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, that has the Holy Ghost. I believe that that makes a real place of least foundational safety. I like to see people marry folks that have identifiable spiritual leadership. You belong to a church. Somebody tells me that they go to a certain church. I said get your pastor on the phone. And we do a conference call. I say, you have one of your members over here who wants to marry one of the women or one of the men is over at your church. And uh, one of my men wants to marry one of the women. We get on there, we do conference calls. We talk about what we know. Pastoral privilege permits us to talk. And friends, he says, we dealt treacherously with this issue. And then he says a second thing, just a two-point sermon tonight. Look at your neighbor. If you're unmarried, say, okay, he's getting off of us now. Tell him, tell him, tell him, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, now, all married folk. Hallelujah, okay. There are folks pointing at each other. Get them, get them, get them. Okay, now, verse number 13. Are y'all still with me? Y'all still love me? Okay, now, verse 13, Malachi 2.13. He said, now, this is the second thing you have done. He said, you've covered the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and with crying. And he does not record your offering anymore, nor does he receive it with good will from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Why aren't our prayers being answered? Why aren't you hearing us? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth. Listen, with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and the wife of your youth. But did not he make them one when God was there as a witness, when you took your vows? Listen, God may not have put everybody together who gets married, but because marriage is his holy institution, God is there at the the witness marriages that are going on. He's there watching what's being said. He's looking at the terms and the conditions. John, will you A, B, C, D, uh, E, F, G with Anita? If so, say I do, I do to make these vows under her. I, John, I, John, A, A, B, B, C, D, E, F, G. I said, Anita, do you take John to be your lawfully wedded husband? Will you A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, N, M, L, P? I always got to give a little bit more to the woman, okay? <laughs> She's a help me, all right? If so say I do, and she says I do, then say to John, I Anita, I Anita, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M N O P. And there's terms and condition, and God's there listening to what we're saying. I say, Do you promise to love, honor, cherish, and obey? I said that at one marriage, and the woman turned around and said, Obey. I said, Yes, obey. And after that one surprise I had at one of my early weddings when I was young pastor, I started giving them the wedding vows up front. Because most folks that are going to sign an agreement, they like to know what the terms and the conditions are. There are certain things that you're going to do. There are certain things that you're going to pledge. And God says, this just isn't a public ceremony. He said, this is a covenant. It's a binding agreement. And it's going to be consummated by your vows, by your rings, And by the blood because we take communion there to seal this as a covenant in God. And when you come together your first time, in the Old Testament, everybody was a virgin when they got married. The male was a virgin. The female was a virgin. And when the male part entered the female, when her hymen was broken, there was a shedding of blood that ran over the male part that constituted a physical covenant in that relationship. That's why the hymen got uniquely designed covenant for that. It's a covenant in the natural when the hymen is broken. It's a covenant in the spirit when communion is taken. It's a covenant when God and the man and the woman and the preacher, that threefold cord, listen to the terms and the conditions that we commit to. And God says you have defamed it because you said all this stuff in front of people and didn't mean it. I'm a big proponent. If you're going to invite 300 people to your marriage and they're going to come and bring gifts and surprises and you have limousines and have doves flying and all kind of stuff. If you go and get a divorce, you ought to invite all 300 of them back. Give back the toasters of microwaves, the electric blankets of blenders and tell all them folks, we lie psych, we was just kidding. Because God said, I was watching that covenant. This is not a play thing. Marriage is not for kids and marriage is not for cowards. It takes work to stay married. Been married for 40 years. People come up and said, have y'all ever considered Divorce? Divorce? No. Murder? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's that's a Marianne Brown joke, okay? <laughs> <But> <laughs> listen, listen, marriage takes work. But the benefit that comes from the work is tremendous. I mean, think about you're blending a male and a female, first of all. We have two physiologically different makeups. You're blending people sometimes from different parts of the country. My wife's from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I was born in Columbus, Ohio. There's a, there's a wonderful book written called From Foreign to Familiar, From Foreign to Familiar. And it talks about hot and cold climate people. And how hot and cold climates can help affect the way that your whole personality and the way that you view the world are are impacted. Hot and cold climate people. Sometimes hot climate people are a little bit more laid back. You know, in Europe, they have to do things very punctual. And Europeans are usually very punctual because they had to get their crops in the ground at a certain time of the year. And they had to make sure that they were cultivated, grown, and harvested because wintertime was coming. And so, therefore, they had to measure time because if they didn't get it down there in a certain time t- point in time between here and there, they would starve in the winter. Yeah. When you're a hot climate person and you have a year-round growing season, you can say manana. Yeah. <laughs> Do it tomorrow. <laughs> and that's what happens sometimes when you have multicultural churches like this one. All the white folks are there and want to be on time. the folks that look like me. I'll get there when I get there. Not so much concerned about how long it took, but did something happen when I got there? So when you're a cold climate person, I was raised in the north of my mother to be on time is a half an hour early. That's my mom. Half an hour early. That's on time. Married a girl, that 15 minutes late was acceptable. Oh, what you laughing at over there? (laughs) And it caused friction when we first got married. I'm taller, she's shorter. So I take long strides when I walk. She takes short strides. I remember one time we was walking someplace and we were a little late so I was taking off. And she said, hey, hey, are we together or what? I so, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you know what? It, it takes time. You like mild food. He likes hot and spicy food. You know what? It takes time. You're loud. She's quiet. you're passive, she's aggressive. I saw a passive man in the restaurant one, one time ordered steak. They brought him a hamburger. I was watching this drama unfold. His wife looked at him and said, didn't you order steak? He said, that's all right, I like hamburger. She said, oh no, 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 not up in here, Not tonight. <laughs> You are the steak. You're going to get steak. He's passive. She's aggressive. Man, you love to make money and save money. She loves to spend money. Oh. <laughs> We're going to give an altar call at the end of this. Okay. If y'all in the front row can see what I see up here, there are people, They wouldn't need a healing line, people being elbowed and stuff, you know? (laughs) And man, God said, I made you to be one, but it's work to become one. And he was a witness at what we said. Listen, when you're unmarried, prepare for the marriage, not just for the wedding. The wedding is an event. The wedding is an event, but marriage is for life in God's covenant. And in verse, oh, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. And I believe that America needs to see again that marriage work. I had a great privilege in December. One of the couples in our church celebrated 50 years of marriage. It was so funny to me. They, they decided they wanted to renew their vows, and they asked me if I do it. I said, I'd be glad to do it. Then they came back to me later on and said, we're going to renew our vows on a cruise. I said, for real? <laughs> so they got everything booked on Celebrity Cruise. And Teresa, do you remember? We're at this wedding. And both of them are on walkers. So me and Mr. Thomas, we come in and he comes in Or his walker in the chapel. And he's standing there with his suit on. And I I had to tell him, bring some chairs because I knew they weren't going to be able to stand during this whole thing, you know. And then Catherine comes down and she's walking. She got roses in her hand on the walker and comes in and they're standing there. And I said, you could be seated. And we did their wedding vows. And uh, at the end of it, I said, I said, Willie, you can kiss your wife. They started kissing. I mean, some serious kissing up there. They embarrassed their apostle. And I had to break it up. I said, wait a minute, wait. Y'all got a cabin now. Come on, come on. And I loved it because after 50 years, man, though there was wrinkles on the body, there was still some fire in the furnace. And friends, God's a witness at the union. And he says, man, when there's healthy marriages in the congregation, it enhances the worship experience because our marriage demonstrates in a very tangible way what covenant's like. And in a covenant-breaking generation, people need to have an example of what covenant looks like. And that's that's why I celebrate when people are married five years. We got five years in and I clap for them. We got 10 years in and I clap for them. We got 20 years in and I clap for them. We got 40 years in and I clap for them. We got 50 years in and I clap for them. Because that's rare today. See, I don't believe that America's biggest problem is homosexuality. I believe that we're covenant breakers. 50% of people that enter into covenant break it in terms of marriage. God's not so concerned about the pagans. He's saying, man, inside of my kingdom, we're dealing treacherously with our spouses. And he says here, he says, do not deal treacherously. She is still your companion and the wife of your youth. Verse 15, as we begin now to bring this to a wrap up, he says, but did not he make them one? He said, and why did he make them one? having a remnant of the spirit. Why one? He seeks godly offspring. See, one of the ways that God wanted to bring godly offspring in is through godly parents. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of your youth. He wanted to make them one. You know, when God created the first one, Adam, the male and the female, Jesus was asked a question Can a man divorce his wife for any reason in Matthew chapter 9, 3? And as we wrap this up, it says, And the Pharisees said unto him in Matthew 19, 3, 19, 3. It says, And the Pharisees came to him, and they said unto him, It says, Saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce their wife for any reason? You see, at this time, there was great divorce. Divorce was a hot topic in Malachi. Divorce was a hot topic in Jesus' day. And one school of thought says, You could divorce your wife for any reason. She burns the bagels, divorce her. You don't like her hair, divorce her. Don't like her look now, divorce her. She picks up weight, divorce her. And another one said it was only for adultery. And they said, well, can a man, let's take it to Jesus. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus says in 19.4, he says, listen, have you not read that when he made them in the beginning, he made them male and female? For he said, for this reason, shall a man leave his father and mother and uh, be joined to his wife and they too shall be one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And that term separate can be interpreted, let no man divorce. God made them one. He sees you as one unit. Even when God joined the first man, He called their name Adam in the day that they were created. If you look in Genesis chapter 5, to show you the the, the oneness of uh, the first man, the first male and female, when God joined them together, God joined them together. And this gives us hope because God was their counselor. God set the boundaries. God set the rules. God set everything. And they still had failure. They still had failure with God alone being their counselor, telling them which way it was going to work. And in Genesis chapter 5, to speak of this oneness, it says, and these are the books. Does anybody have a King James version of the Bible in here? Any King James? Could you, could you let me use your Bible for a moment? King James, let me read Genesis 5, 1 and 2 out of yours. So I'll bring it right back to you in the King James. Boy, you got some good eyes, man. Let me get over here in the light and enlighten, shift my both up. Man, you must be a sharpshooter or something, bro. It's a small print here, brother. Oh, no, I got it. I got them. Good. It is small, though. You all right with me, bro? I like an eel now King James says now this is a generation of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made he him male and female created he them and he blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created that's King James version called their name Adam in the day that they were created. The new King James that I've been reading tonight says he called their name mankind. Ha- Adam, Adam is mankind. Now listen, God Adam so much one that God called their name Adam in the day that they were created. Many times people say, well, God created Adam and Eve. That's not true. He created them. Adam, they were one. In fact, when he comes to the garden after they sin, he says, Adam, Adam, where are you? Both of them showed up, the male and the female. You know why? That was their name. Yeah. Even today, when a man marries a woman, she drops her maiden names or adds his name to her because if she doesn't want his name. She doesn't want his character. She doesn't want his integrity. She doesn't want his quality. And the taking on of his name means that I now come under your jurisdiction. I can now come under your protection. I now come under your governance and your guidance. I now I'm one together with you. You say, well, wait a minute. I know I read my Bible and I know my Sunday school teacher told me there was Adam and Eve. Isn't it interesting that the word Eve, the word Eve was not mentioned until Genesis 3 because God separated them. He put a judgment on the earth. He put a judgment on the serpent. He put a judgment on the man. He put a judgment on the woman. And then the fallen man said, and she shall now be called Eve. The fallen man said that. Because now he was just reinforcing the separation. She's no longer Adam. Now there's Adam and Eve because sin separates everything. But Genesis 5, 1 and 2 said, but then the day that they were created, God created them one and he called their name Adam. They were so much one. And I believe that when the last Adam comes, he wants to make us one again. He wants to make us one. They tell me if you stay married long enough, you start looking like each other. We've been married long enough, I can start a story and my wife can finish it. I can start a sentence and she'll even complete it. I had to convince her, stop interrupting me, let the man talk sometime. Stay married long enough, you start knowing with each other really likes and likes and dislikes. Sometimes we go to a restaurant. My wife may have to go to the restroom. I might have to go to the restroom. Or we have to go wash your hands, you know. And we're away from the table when they come and take the drink orders. And they'll say, somebody's missing. They say, yeah, well, I'll take everybody else's drink order. She'll say, oh, no, this is what he wants. You know what? She's right. And, friends, that oneness is not only in natural things and memories and looks. And likes, but after a while it becomes we're one together in the spirit. Did he not even make them one? And friends, I believe that God wants to bring us together in oneness again, and that oneness cannot happen when there's spiritual friction. The situation here was people were divorcing for illegitimate reasons. It wasn't adultery, it wasn't divorce, it wasn't repeated and unrepented. They just wanted to get rid of her to get a new model. I had a man one time when he turned, he had had 20 years in marriage. He said, my wife's getting old. She's getting wrinkled. He's slow. And, she, and he looked at me. And he said, I'm going to trade her in. I said, well, how old is she? She's 40. I'm trading me in, trading her in for 220s is yeah. what he told me. I said, you're going to die. <laughs> I said, you are old. You don't need no young girl. I tried to convince him. I said, what's it going to look like, man? I said, I said you out there? I said, you using being gay. Being gay and Calvin Klein—they don't mix, man. I said, "You so old, she out there. Back it up, back it up. Drop her like it's hot." And and man, you can't even find a beat. I said, "You're gonna die. You're gonna die." And (laughs) France. Are y'all right? (laughs) Friends, God calls us. He says, work your way through it. If you're unmarried, you don't have to get married. It's not a command. Marriage is not a command. It's an opportunity. If you're unmarried, in our kingdom, a male must marry a female. You must marry in the Lord, Christians with Christians. I really believe in the investigation to make sure that we're compatible. We're moving in the right direction. But if you are married, I'm not ignorant to tell you that sometime there is opportunities and there is options for divorce. And even Jesus said, man, sometime when there's repeated unrepentant adultery in a marriage, there's no way out. Sometimes people are able to work it out. Sometimes there is a glory story after adultery that's repeated and unrepentant. But that's usually when somebody stops what they're doing, change their mind, turn around, Repentance says, I want this, it's valuable, and they know what they've missed. But in this case, they were just divorcing for any reason. And God says it's profane, the holy institution of marriage. Ray, you can come, Pastor Ray, because here this text says, for the Lord says that, the, that he, in verse 16, he hates divorce. And they were covering their garments with violence. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You see, in the United States right now, we deal with a covenant-breaking nation. Folks just don't honor their covenants anymore. They don't honor their their contracts, which are man-made, or the covenants with God. We join churches and say we're going to do certain things and become covenant partners. And then at the first sign of distress, we break covenant and go someplace else. We join in marriage. First thing, something doesn't go our way. We divorce and we go our own way. And God is not pleased because it hinders the worship experience. Let me tell you what happens to our offspring when divorce happens, especially with two believers. They start questioning everything about God. I've had youth after youth come when their parents have gone through divorce. And it's not frequent in our church, but it's enough that I can feel the pain and have compassion. They say, but pastor, my dad's supposed to be a Christian and my mom's a Christian. And the Bible says, and it's interesting, you may not think that your kids are listening, but they're listening. Let me tell you, they're listening. They're catching some of this that we're doing. And they say, why are they divorcing? And divorce tears up everything because when you divorce, it leaves jagged edges in your life. Man, if divorce was nice and clean and smooth, it would be one thing. But here's what divorce does. Man, when you divorce, it leaves jagged edges. And that's why when people go into that second marriage, the likelihood of that thing fitting together, most of the time, there's another divorce. And the more people remarriage, the higher uh, incidence of divorce statistics are telling us because most folks don't even take time to get those jagged edges healed. Yes, yes. Now, I'm not ignorant also to understand that sometime because of the circumstance of abuse, abandonment, and adultery, abuse, abandonment, and adultery, that sometime people had the divorce. Abuse is wickedness. Bible tells us to flee wickedness. First Corinthians 7 says if an unbeliever departs, sometimes people just say, I can't hack this Christianity and they depart, it says, let them depart because you don't know if you're going to save them. And then it says but if they dwell with you in peace, let them stay because you don't know if you'll save them. We just don't know. There's adultery that's repeated and unrepented. But whenever we go through a divorce, there needs to be time. We instituted a course at our church a few years ago called Divorce Care. It's a network. And it helps people who are either going through a divorce or have had the residue of divorce on their life get healed up so that they can make a legitimate uh, decision. Because sometimes people, they think that this person threw me away and I want to prove to everybody that I can have somebody. And they get on the rebound. And those jagged edges are there. And sometimes you can even come into Christ and still be experiencing those jagged edges even in talks like this. And that's why I don't have a ministry of condemnation in this area. I do warn people. But I say, but God can come in and even heal the wounds of divorce. And friends, if you're here and if you've gone through a divorce, and I know divorce is painful, even when it's legitimate, when you have biblical reasons and, and, and you knew that you had to end this thing, sometimes for you and sometimes for the kids' sake, it's still painful. And Jesus wants to come into this sanctuary and heal some people from some of that residue of divorce. He hates it because it violates covenant. But you know what? God still extends grace to the innocent party. And some of you in here were the innocent. You were the victim, not the violator. And and the other thing about divorce, and we do this in the church, and I come home now, listen, sometimes we put a stigma on divorced people. (laughs) Like they can never be used by God anymore. They're disqualified from everything. And yet sometimes there's still that burning in their heart that God still wants to use. And what God has cleansed, who are we to call common? I want every head bowed, every eye closed. And, you know, I preach to unmarried people and he preached to married people. But I really sense in my spirit that the residue of divorce needs to be washed off tonight. And if you're a person, whether you're unmarried and are remarried. Sometimes you've divorced and remarried, but you know that sometimes that residue of divorce is still on your life. That is, when you think about it, there's still some pain. There's still a jab in your heart. There's still that rake that comes over your heart. Just raise your hand in the sanctuary. If you know I'm still dealing with some of those effects, and I see hands all over the sanctuary where there's people who've gone through a divorce, some of that residue is still there. Some of you may even be remarried. Put your hands down. I'm going to include you as I pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come because he can absolutely do this tonight. I believe that the Holy Spirit came here. He taught and he ministered to unmarried people and the married people. But I really believe that some of those who are innocent in the divorce, God wants to minister a special grace to you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring all three before you today. Father, I pray first of all for unmarried people. And some of them are widows. And so they said, I'm not even thinking about marriage again. I'm just going to live out my life and I'm going to be loyal to the Lord and loyal to my cause. And that's all I'm thinking about. But some are unmarried and they're single father and they're thinking about a father, a spouse. And I pray, father, that there'll be those that wait on you, that there'll be those that marry a man or a woman, a father that is in the Lord and walking in the same direction that they're walking in and that they'll not be yoked together with a pagan or with a heathen or with somebody that's outside of the faith. I pray, Father, that they'll just uh, examine and investigate and they'll be very careful before they enter in the covenant because you're a witness together with them and the wife of their youth today in Jesus' name. I pray for married people that we've entered into a covenant and we're one. And in the day that you created the first couple, you called their name Adam. Did not you make them one is what your word said? and how one so that you could bring forth godly seed. I pray that every married couple will be raising up godly seed. And they'll also guide, guard, and govern the family. They'll be a custodian over their sons and daughters and will help them evaluate their wedding choices and their marriage choices in Jesus' name. And by all means, Father, let everyone, Father, do more work on preparing for marriage than they do for preparing for the wedding in Jesus' name now, Father, I come to those that are divorced because, Father, people raise their hand and they say some of them may be remarried. Some of them are currently married, but some of them are still divorced. And the residue of that failure in marriage is still on their life. And Holy Spirit, you can enter into their heart and where their heart was stabbed because of betrayal. Where their hearts were maybe stabbed because of drug abuse or abuse in a physical or mental way or abandonment. Somebody just got up and left and left them alone with house and bills and children. Oh God, would you enter in today and be Jehovah Rapha to them. God, we believe you for physical healing, but you can also heal the emotions. You can also heal us of our past today in Jesus' name. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Cleanse us, do a work in us and do a work to us and do a work through us today in Jesus' name. And Father in Faith Christian Center, would you make us ambassadors of healing? And Father, whatever we thought about and had a stigma of divorce on people, let us drop that stigma today. Let us not pigeonhole and corner and limit people in their marriage because they've gone through a divorce. Father, even as they have received forgiveness for covenant breaking, or maybe they were victimized, help us to see them not as unclean, but as common. Father, let us see them as cleansed, not as common. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord Jesus, enter into that life. Go back to that place where the documents were signed and said you are now officially divorced. Go back and heal that pain of betrayal. That pain that came from abuse. Heal them of the accusations that were levied against them. In the name of Jesus. Heal them from the accuser of the brethren. Who rises up and tells them you're not worthy to do anything in the church. God's people can't hear you. I silence that voice and tell you to stop your noise in their ear. In the name of Jesus. We receive it now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do that work, do that work, Jesus. Do that work, Jesus. Do that work, do that work, Jesus. Do that work, do that work today, Lord Jesus. Do that work, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, do that work. Do the work inside. Father, let them experience your worthiness today. Let them experience your healing touch today. In the name of Jesus. 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 That healing touch today. Jesus. Mm. Jesus. your word be it unto them and father then go into that family and if there are children that have been involved in this process oh God heal that seed let them still risk the trust and let them know that covenant still works in Jesus name heal the seed oh Lord God because you made us one to produce godly seed and now father for everybody in the church I pray that we will be a church that's known as raising up godly seed Father, that we'll make investment from the nursery to the high school and in our young adults so that our seed might be taught and that they'll have examples all through this church and then we look at older couples that the seed won't be afraid to walk up and say, how long have you been married? They won't be, they'll be like me when I was a kid and say, I'm going to get married one day. Father, restore the hope. And then make us a covenant-making and covenant-keeping people for you are a witness with the wife of our youth She's still our companion and the wife of our youth. And so, Father, I pray for every husband to let him know that he can reaffirm his love and his commitment to his wife. Let every wife reaffirm and verbally reaffirm her love and her commitment to her husband in the name of Jesus. And, Father, let every single person receive grace for their singleness in Jesus' name. We believe, we believe you are here.